Introducing DBM, the premium AV distributor, bringing the highest quality video and audio to your clients. Here at DBM, we pride ourselves on providing customizable bespoke packages and invite you to join us through the entire process, ensuring a truly personalized experience. Our highly trained, experienced team members will ensure a seamless installation with support always at hand. Your journey to elevated AV integration starts today with DBM. Hello everybody and welcome to the Integrated Home, the podcast that's produced by the Home Integration Community for the Home Integration Community. My name is Jeff Hayward and today we're talking takeovers. How and why do they happen? How are they best resolved to overcome the client's initial hostility and pain points? And what can the industry do to minimise reputational fallout from takeover situations? Welcome to the Integrated Home. Join ISE 2024 as it celebrates a special 20th anniversary edition, 30th of January to the 2nd of February in Barcelona at the Fira di Barcelona Gran Via. From the latest innovations for the residential market to lighting solutions and smart building technologies, ISE 2024 offers the biggest ever show floor with more than 1,300 exhibitors with solutions for every application. Set across eight halls, the seven technology zones highlight the latest solutions for creating comfortable, fully integrated and secure smart homes and buildings. As part of ISE's comprehensive conference agenda, CDA will offer a full programme of smart home focused training. Use our code INTEGRATEDHOME for free registration at www.iseurope.org. Okay, so to talk about hostile takeovers, we are joined by two integrators with experience of these projects, Paul McKen of Electric Frog and Durgesh Sin of Nucleus AV. Welcome to you both. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Nice to be here. Excellent. Okay, so um, can you first of all just describe who you are and your business? Paul, do you want to go first on that? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Paul McKen. I'm head of projects at uh, Electric Frog. We specialise in integration, home automation, uh, both on land and on sea. Uh, we primarily do rescue work and takeover work uh, and have been in the industry for the last 15 years performing such tasks, both for ourselves and larger integrators. Hi, my name is uh, Dogesh from Nucleus. We're a London-based integrator. We do what we call bedrooms, boardrooms and battlefields, which is basically resi, commercial and military. Uh, Been in the industry for about as long as Paul has, 15 years. A lot of what we do is base build fresh installs and a lot of what we also do is um, take over and retrofit. So we have a bit of a mixture of both. Okay, so first, uh, first things first, what does the industry mean by a takeover project? Durgesh, do you want to answer what you consider to be a takeover? It can happen for different reasons, but I think the sort of summary is taking over a job that post-installation that was done by another integrator. That that kind of why we got there is many reasons, but taking over a job that you didn't do yourself that was done by another integrator. And Paul, that sounds pretty straightforward. Is that is that right? Does that cover all bases? Yeah, I think so. I think the um, other category of rescue, we see that more as aging systems uh, that haven't been or poorly maintained 
and maybe they're sort of 10 to 15 years old and they need some upgrades and some TLC. So the takeover is normally uh, something that's quite a fairly recent install and there is an incumbent or there was an incumbent integrator involved. And how would you describe uh, the client's mood when he's first discussing that takeover project <laughs> with you? <laughs> well, I, I've uh, coined the phrase the hostile takeover, not because we are the hostile ones, but it's a hostile environment. So the client usually feels begrudgingly that they're now having to call somebody else in for a job that they've already paid for, for a system that no longer works or is fit for purpose. Um, so therefore, we need to sort of act like the UN and a counsellor of some sort to rest assured, make client rest assured that uh, we are the guys that will perform the task of getting their home working. Um, but it's, it's that state of flux when they feel that they've paid a lot of money and they haven't got the value out of the system. And they almost never want to do home automation again. This is a last throw of the dice. So it's a very sensitive um, arena that we have to work within. And there can be a number of reasons, can't there, Dergish, why that, why that relationship has broken down? 100%. I mean, you've got client can be unhappy. They're not happy with the system, as Paul touched on, or they're not happy with the service they're getting from the integrator. They've fallen out with the integrator because they just don't see eye to eye on something on a final invoice or or something that they should have included or didn't include. Um, it could happen for many, many reasons. And then, as Paul said, there's other reasons why you take over a job in terms of retrofit or the integrator's no longer in business. But the, the ones that really are hostile, as Paul says, are the ones where a client has invested a huge sum of money um, building their dream home, and it's just not as they want it to be, or as it, as it, or as it even from our eyes, as it should be. Things are not working. They're causing a frustration. The thing with smart homes are when you start bringing in things like lighting and heating, um, that is more than, oh, my music's not working or my TV's not working. It starts to be livable conditions. So you can understand why they get very passionate and very upset about the position they've been left in. And anybody who's got Wi-Fi will know that technology does not necessarily work all the time, 100% of the time. If you multiply it by what a technology integrator does, the potential for problems there are so many of them, right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you, you get clients going, you walk into a house that maybe someone else did and they're not happy and they'll go, Dogesh, nothing works. Nothing works. I paid all this money and nothing works. And once you start having a conversation and walking around the property with the client, you realize that actually what they mean is the heating doesn't work. Like that, but, you know, the initial thing is they're just so angry and pent up that it, they just think nothing works. And as you say, there's so many, you know, all the Wi-Fi, the net, the network, the integration with the BMS or the HVAC, the lighting, the shading, the music, the TV, the door entry, the CCTV. There's so many things we all do as integrators. It just takes one of those to really upset a client, um, and and that's a position you're left with. And you're fighting, you're fighting to, as Paul said, you're fighting to save the reputation of the industry as well as as well as just that installation because they just don't want nothing to do with it at that point. So you're coming. You're coming from a very negative position to try and claw it back to saying, let's rescue it because they just want to throw it in the bin at that point. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. So, yeah, what have you got to add to that, Paul? Well, I think also that we are one of the last in when everybody else has gone. So 
the interior designer, the architects, the M&E, everybody else has gone. The client is left with this system and they feel that not only that it doesn't work, but they it's not fit for purpose. And I think when you're on the back foot like that, we then have a situation where we have to perform the task to get them up and running while keeping them running. So it there's layers of complexity where we're not talking about an average home where it's just a bit of Sonos and a TV. Like Dergesh said, it's heating, it's security, it's gate entry. And the subsystems that are involved usually have other integrate, you know, integrated uh, companies involved and they might not be around either. So we have to take on all of those subsystems, make them unified, work out the issues and then provide a solution in a timely fashion. I think that with, you know, the way that um, the client's interaction around this is that they are not happy or trustworthy of any of this until they actually see some results. So when workflow processes are discussed, what we envisage needs to be done, tailoring an audit, um, setting budgets and timescales to it, all of it is met with hostility. They feel, why are we paying for this again? And we kind of have to say, well, that was the other guy. And in doing it this time, it will be right. And we find that once we've built those relationships, the upgrades and the fun stuff of the system can come later, you know, and, and it usually does. You know, we, we build quite a loyal following of clients from this. And it's quite nice to put a smile back on their face, but it is very, very tough work because it's not a cookie cutter solution. And of course, the clients themselves got to share a, a level of responsibility sometimes on these projects because the brief might start off as one thing, evolves and changes to such an extent that there's no way that the system as it was originally designed would be able to deliver what they want in terms of their expectations. So that is a that is a typical scenario that arises, does it not? Yeah, 100%. There's always two sides of the story. I don't think you can have this conversation and think that, oh, there's integrators that just do it bad all the time. There is another side of the story. And sometimes the contractor could be involved or another subcontractor that didn't follow the scope or the spec. And that's caused the whole system not working. And you don't get to generally hear that side. You just get to hear the client's uh, rant about it um, without hearing the other integrator's side about how it's... And usually it's a small industry, right? So if you find out who did the job, if it's someone you know, generally you pick up the phone to them and then they actually tell you the other side of the story. Um, you're still left in a position where you have to call back and get the client's confidence in smart home technology and rescue the system. But it's not that the other integrator is completely to blame. It's There is always two sides of the story. Sometimes it's just atrocious <laughs> and they are completely to blame. That also does happen. But, but if it was done by a reputable integrator, there's probably a story in the background. Probably a story. And what, what I'm intrigued by, Paul, is that you've actually built a business on just doing this type of job. So did you just wake up in a kind of eureka moment and thought this is a business opportunity? How did how did that all come together for you? Yeah, well, it's a lot of what we do. But like I said, we work with other integrators on larger marine and um, projects in Europe as well. The reason why the takeovers happen is that usually we're called in to fix um, some lighting control of some sort. The keypad doesn't work and they want some scenes changed and, you know, they heard about us and we go in to do that. So it might be a £250 keypad that actually has caused some pain point. And then once we're in and we've done something like that, they say, oh, um, 
also we've noticed that uh, we've got X, Y, and Z. So sometimes it's a soft entry into this, but most of the time it's a hard entry. And we didn't start off this way. We were sitting at tables with architects and interior designers and M&E consultants. The problem is, is that sometimes they're building luxurious properties for people that don't yet exist. So it's more a developer spec. And in doing that, everything gets scaled back. And AV, I feel, gets scaled back one of the most. But it's expected as the first point of uh, interaction between the client and their home. So we're there to design and simplify all the other subsystems, yet the budget constraints and the understanding is not there. And that just left to quite a lot of frustration where we were sitting at the table of these very beautiful houses that were going to be done badly. So our, our sort of mantra with that was sort of a pay me now, pay me later. Either get us at the table at the beginning or we'll be back at the end to fix the problems that have ensued. That's really interesting. That is really interesting. So uh, that is another um, complete issue is that the people who are often briefing you on these projects aren't actually the client who's going to live in it and have, may have completely misinterpreted what their clients told them that they want for the house. So it, of course, it, it's not going to be as they expected and that they're going to want people in to come and fix it afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, when you look at it like that, having a direct relationship with the client gives you an understanding of what they actually want. And what we found is, is that what they believed they were getting, they didn't actually get, or some of the other subsystems and contractors didn't put it into a uniform joined up sort of thinking at all. And they just left out the vital bit that gave them the control. Following on, I think, I think a problem also happens is there's what the client wants and there's also how you go about achieving that. And if you have a mindset of a very sort of like, this is the correct way of doing things, it might not be the easiest route, but it's the correct way of doing things for the sake of the property, um, for the sake of uh, the future of the property and what is possible. And the fact that you've wired something in an agnostic way that it's not too proprietary to one or two systems in the market and nothing else. And you're kind of looking after the interest of the property that is not going to have to be gutted should this system fail, not perform or be end of life then you can you, you can put things in a certain way where should it age or the product be discontinued, you've got options. So I, I think that's also, it's it's what the client wants, but I think we're in a, a, a position of responsibility where we're trusted to do the right thing and not just achieve the end goal, but achieve it using the right tools and the right products. So in terms of advice, I've heard more joined up thinking, better briefing um, would definitely help. Perhaps greater honesty in that sort of relationship with the client where the client's asking you to do something don't always go for what what is the cheapest option from your side yeah stand by your morals and your spec and don't be scared to push back because it's those it's those quick yeses i think that create a lot of messes (laughs) 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 didn't know we were going to get poetry on this as well yeah i know that was it you can have that one for free How how else do you think we can avoid takeover situations or the worst type of takeover situations that you come across, Paul? And, and perhaps perhaps maybe just describe what you what you feel are the most depressing situations that you walk into. Yeah, so I, I think that one of the biggest causes of this is um, when you're buying a, a home, and and some of these are homes that are for sale, and the client moves in, and they've been assured that it's a smart home and everything else. And when they actually move in, and you know scratch beneath the surface, they 
find out that the infrastructure is not correct, uh, the system's aging, and it hasn't worked for a number of years. And I think that when you're buying a home, you take out surveys for the boiler and, you know, the roof and everything else. I don't think there is a survey that is done for what the home tech is. And we have clients that come to us and they pay us to go and survey the house and give us an honest appraisal of what is working and what isn't. And I think that really helps to enlighten people as to their managing their expectations. So I think that's definitely one side of it. I think the other side is, is that good documentation and source code, we always give over um, at practical completion. We, we've always done that. We've never held clients hostage with that. And we see that quite a lot. That, um, there's some incumbent that feels a bit disgruntled and maybe there was an argument and everything else. But at the end of the day, that is part of the property and part of the spec. And I think that there needs to be greater transparency on getting those things across because we are damaging the reputation of the industry by having these people feel that they're held to ransom in some sort of way. Hence the hostility when we come in and tell them it's been done wrong. This is what it's going to take to get right. The other thing I just wanted to mention is we don't go in and rip out what's there because, you know, it's just gone in most of the time, only on the rescue jobs where it's old and decrepit and everything else. So we have to work with, in a lot of ways, what's already installed on site and find ways to integrate it. And it's only if we can actually audit it and say, this is not fit for purpose, then the client might be interested in what that will mean. But there's a lot more detail that we have to give because we're pushing against resistance. So in summary, I think greater transparency of when people are buying properties and a realistic assertion of what you get from the smart home that you think you're buying. Some sort of appraisal document, I think, would really help. Um, or, you know, like I said, the survey mechanism, I think, would be ideal. And that temptation to just go in there, it's not working, get very frustrated and say just rip it out and put something new in that is so unsustainable that approach you must you must be throwing out tons of electronics from a house to do that so it is best if you can go in and and fix what's already there or improve what's already there right you're limited also in terms of design because these homes like paul mentioned if they're very new ones they're being done to a high level of interior design and architecture People go, oh, I just want to, I've gone into, uh, this doesn't work. Why are my skyboxes in my rack? It just doesn't work. Just put, what's wrong with the skybox under a TV? Well, you might be in a situation where the wiring and the physical construction of that piece of joinery or where the TV may be, that wall doesn't allow for a skybox to be there. So you, it's not as simple as a client just saying, I want to go back. You, you, you have to work with what you have there, like Paul said, and try and get their confidence back in, in the correct way of doing things. It's a challenge, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big challenge in terms of knowing your kit. You have to know old kit, new kit, and kit that you've never used and be sort of, the main skill is to be able to come up against a box that you've never seen in your life because it's not one that you normally specify get under the hood and go, oh, actually, this does work if it was just configured correctly or if the RJ45s were terminated correctly and, and labelled, you know, it, it does work. But it's very easy. It is very easy to say, right, we don't do this product, chuck it out. We're, you know, spent. At that point, I don't think you're going to win because you're basically going to try and sell them the entire house again, at which point they're just going to have no interest. And they're probably going to tell every single one of their friends to never, ever build a smart home. So you're not just rescuing their house. You're trying to rescue the industry's reputation as well. True. True. And, and, and Paul, I, I'm sure that um, 
you need lots of patience as well as being an all-round expert as Durgesh just described like you wouldn't believe I mean you you must come across some some products that you thought I've never seen that before well it's interesting me and Durgesh have actually worked on uh, a couple of projects together and one was a rescue very expensive property in central London you know sort of you know 24 million pound sort of price bracket and it was actually three apartments with a concierge and it was being put on the market. So I, we got called in. I got called in and I asked for Dergesh's assistance because there were some really strange things that were going on there. And I think one of the strangest things I ever saw, and I think this sort of summarises how things go when systems aren't maintained or there isn't joined up thinking. There was a router for each discipline within the house. So BMS had a router. Crestron had a router, the lighting had a router, door entry had a router. But none of the routers were talking together because they couldn't talk together. So somebody in their infinite wisdom has decided that this is the way that you do smart home integration. And we ripped all of it out. There, there was no working with what was there. We decided, I just had to lay it on the line and say, for us to cut through all the issues that you've got, it needs to be unified and joined up thinking. We're going to put in the products that do that, give us two weeks this is the budget this is the time scale let's get it done but that's one of a plethora of projects that we have worked in walked into and just gone why has it been done that way now i don't know if it's the integrators who don't know or uh, service and maintenance or regular visits maybe the house manager has decided that they don't want to go through the certain channels and decide to sort of circumvent that and go another way but it causes a lot of angst and confusion amongst everybody thinking that what we do doesn't really work and once you see it working again it restores that faith and then we can move on to the fun stuff which is you know the TVs and the media rooms and, you know, the music streaming and everything else. But if your basics of controlling your heating, your lighting, your door entry, your security and your and your network are all disjointed, that's where I think it creates a, a vortex of problems. And having, you know, sort of the confidence to sort of just say, this is the way that we can do it and that's the only way. Sometimes you walk away from those projects because they don't want to listen or they don't believe that what you're saying is right. I mean, quite obviously, uh, clients need to know more that they should choose qualified, experienced people in the first place. Yeah. I mean, Instagram and website rose tinted view is not <laughs> is not the way you really uh, they should really be, you know, getting referral from someone or recommendation or doing a little bit more research um, because, you know, you can see all the shiny pictures you like, but that doesn't tell you who you're getting in bed with effectively um because we have to we have to look after these houses we've looked i've looked after houses for decade over a decade we're still looking after them today um things we did 15 years ago so you're not in these people's lives for a flash bang of a moment you're there for quite a long time dagesh has brought up a valid point there is that i think the industry needs to shift from the idea of box shifting is the end and that the service and maintenance is actually the beginning because building those relationships you'll you'll then have a client for life you'll do their house you'll do their, their friend's house their client's house you build a word of mouth rep reputation we don't even advertise the pictures of our projects on our website we don't use instagram our clients don't so we get referrals and then when we get into that we show before and after case studies and we give those clients names and the budget spend that was on there so that everybody has an idea of what they're getting involved with when they hire us 
are there really still integrators out there who think they're just shifting boxes and walk away at the end of a job? Really? And you'll be surprised because I think that what happens is, is that the industry becomes fractional from people that have worked for a big integrator who decide that they're going to go and set up on their own. Now, they might have got a couple of clients and a bit of knowledge, but all of a sudden they're running with a whole home integration, which they don't have the skill space to do, don't know where to turn to. And the thing is, is that they just want to get this in, on and done. So it still does exist. I wouldn't say it's from the larger or more established integrators, but there's new blood that breaks away. And I think that that causes part of the issue. Uh, Certainly a few of the jobs that we've seen has been from the guy who came to service the place, who's now taken it on, um, who then basically cannot go any further with it. And then the client is not happy with their skill set. It's, it's interesting that point, Jeff, I was just to follow up from what Paul was saying, is that what we're talking about here, these rescue jobs, in my eyes, they can only be done by a, a midsection of the industry. You, you're either too small and inexperienced, you're still at the beginning of your journey, where you don't have the knowledge and the experience to be able to fix these things, because you're, as Paul said earlier, you're coming from a point of very little knowledge, a very little insight, and you're trying to basically be a detective to work it all out and put it right. And the big integrators have absolutely no interest because there's no box, there's very minimal box shifting involved. So they have no interest in doing it. Their approach to these things are come in, rip everything out as if it was a new build and start again. Otherwise, we're not interested. So you've got the people like around me and Paul, that sort of midpoint where this is a very rewarding thing to do and an interesting thing to do for us mixed in with four projects that we're doing from base build. It's a great thing for us that we do in and around those projects um, to keep the team busy, keep their hands on the tools um, and fill in those gaps. So they're quick turnarounds rather than building houses for two or three years. So for us, they work great, but it's interesting. I, 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 what Paul was saying is that, you know, you can't get the guys that aren't very experienced to be putting these things right. And also the bigger guys that have all the experience sort of as a collective, they're just not interested because there's no box shifting going on. And it's a bit of a shame because um, I think that uh, design teams and interior designers and project managers and all of those layers, when doing something new as a cookie cutter type template for the product that you produce and the service that you produce is very easy when it's a new build. But there is no cookie cutter from this. We have to approach these projects not always in a straight line. Sometimes we're starting with the thing that was done last, fixed first, or you know we have to break down the network first, or we have to reverse engineer and test every cable to make sure that it is actually correct. So we have to do two sets of design, one as is and one as we want it to be. And there is a lot of work in that. And I guess the passion for what we do, like I said, I didn't fall into this and I didn't set out to become this. But what I realized was, We are a bunch of problem solvers. The team that I have are very, very good and very, very experienced. And it does take a particular set of skills. We get hired by bigger integrators to rescue some of their older projects um, because they know that we can turn up as maybe two or three people where they might have had 10 previously and get the result that they need quickly to get the house up and running or the marine project up and running. Do you think we should uh, talk about it more? as an industry collective rather than it sort of be um, late at night, backroom conversations in a bar, you know, which is which is where takeovers do get discussed, do they not? Diggy, can I go first on this one? <laughs> so, you know, knowing where the bodies are buried with some of this stuff, and I mean, we're not talking about jobs that are sort of 10, 20 grand, I've seen projects up to sort of 1.2, 1.8 million. 
that the clients are completely not happy about. And I think the biggest criticism of this as an industry is that it is the dirty laundry. It's the thing that nobody wants to maybe admit to because it's not the shiny new stuff. And even in the awards, it's very easy to win an award with an unlimited budget and timescale and team and everything else. But to actually put something right to give clients satisfaction and make it as good as what the new build should have been. And that's our goal, basically. It's not just to make it work, but to make it a great install where the infrastructure, the backbone of it all works. And we don't have an award for it. For their, so therefore, there is no conversation around it. And I don't know why. I guess manufacturers aren't selling enough boxes in what we do um, to give it an audience, so to speak. Um, and I guess interior designs and everything else are walking away. So it's, it's really the end user who is the only one who's calling for help in this. But the notion of renovation is we're very familiar with it in the construction industry. And it's technology is just like everything else. It dates. It dates quicker than bricks, for sure, right? That's what I... <laughs> it, it dates quicker than bricks, for sure. So, you know, you, you, it does date. Um, I think what we're talking about here is is um, more when it, it's brand new or very or recently, a couple of years old, and it's all current and it's just not being installed correctly. You do also get that side of the... I mean, it's worth talking about. We, you do get that other side of the argument where someone invested stuff 10 years ago and you're asking them to upgrade it and they're like, why? My response usually to that is, how many iPhones have you gone through in the last 10 years? Uh, they probably, knowing our clients, have said 10, if not more. So it, it does date. And that's a different conversation, I think. And that also can come up with some hostility because they expect it to last like bricks and mortar forever. but it, <laughs> Or not forever, but for a very, very long time. So that that's another thing. But here is when they're actually completely unhappy that nothing's functional from day dot or quite early in to the job. I think we should we should talk about them more. They're interest. They're very rewarding. I think we. I know Paul finds them rewarding. I find them very rewarding to do because you can stand back and going, "Wow, we fixed that. Look, it's working now." On the surface of it, the client doesn't really see a different house. The TVs probably have all got neatly labeled dress cables behind them. They can't really see that. You might maybe have cleaned up, most likely cleaned up the rack. They're not really going to the garage much in their house unless they're getting into the car. So what they see on the surface is the same. But what you've done is you've rewired everything underneath and reprogrammed it. And now it's working. Um, so you don't get a lot of aesthetic reward from doing it. You just sort of take some pride in the fact that you put it right. I think that's really interesting, Degesh, because you're right. There is no reward at first. But I think what you quickly find is that within a year or two, they come back to you and go, do you know what? It's been really great. We've had zero issues, very little. It's been, you know, like you've done a really good job. Thank you. Now we're thinking about upgrading a media room or whatever, and we'd like your input. So it's about building trust and relationships. It's trust, is what I'm going to say, yeah. It's building trust. It's your reward is you're built in, you trust, you're paid in trust is what, you, what you've earned doing it 100 percent. and from all your experiences where do you think are the biggest skills gap within the industry what what do you see that you think is it the rack is it the cabling is it the network side of um, jobs what what areas do you think are the ones where people really need a lot more help than they're getting problem solving because a lot of the stuff has you know if you're doing this for 15 years it was a lot of stuff that you had to build yourself yeah you, you might have had to build your own relay to get the projector screen to come up and down 
everything now is a bit, oh, here's a box, plug in two wires and plug that wire into there. Oh, how does that work? I don't know how it works. It's a black box. It just does what it says on the tin without problem solving skills or a little bit of ingenuity to understand why something works and how it works. If you don't have that in you to sort of have that, you know, I want to, you know, well, there's, we were all as kids, we were like the sort of people that take toys apart and then probably couldn't put them back together, but we learned a lot doing it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, it's kind of, you need to have that insight. If you just want to have like bang it on the wall and have it working, I don't think you're going to become a great problem solver because you're not willing to look at that next level below. I think what Dagesh has said there is exactly right, because, you know, problem solving, I, I put that at the front and center of everything. And it's not a skill that everybody has. When you have a design team, a project manager and everything else, they can all safely stay in their lane to make sure that their part of the conveyor belt is complete. When you're thrown into this, you need to have an understanding of all of it in order to reach a conclusion to solve the issue and do it better than what it's been done. So, like I said, experience Upgrades are, are not easy, but definitely the takeovers are harder because you need to do it faster, quicker, better for very little thanks and probably fighting for every penny of the budget for it to be done. And like I said, this isn't happening at, you know, your Sonos with smart TV level. This is happening at the top scale of, you know, properties. And when someone begrudgingly has to pay more for however many hundreds of thousands of pounds, you have to be a diplomat. You have to be understanding. You have to also compile a brief from the client that is actually what they want because maybe they didn't get that and maybe the integrator did call it wrong or maybe the integrator just wasn't skilled with what was required or understood the brief. I think in what you're saying, Paul, in summary, like they are definitely the hardest things to sell to the client to do a take you know a, a, a takeover and a repair is the hardest thing to sell at a large scale it's the hardest thing to do because you're constricted on various things cabling kit used how it was deployed space god knows what you're restricted and it's the hardest thing to document because you're doing it from a point of reverse rather than planning so in all three aspects of selling it doing it and documenting it and handing over it's probably the hardest thing we can do in this industry is a is a takeover job especially a hostile one, as Paul would say. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this has been like a meeting of Takeovers Anonymous. So any, <laughs> anything they want to share? So any, any, any things you want to get off your chest? <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. What you were mentioning earlier, Jeff, about stuff becoming old. Now that we're moving into a phase where, you know, systems are now, smart homes are, especially in central London, you know, are 15, 20 years old at the oldest. They're now I'm seeing a lot more in the last two, three years of going into jobs where actually there was nothing wrong. Um, crashed on systems running for 15, 20 years. Unbelievable. Still running. Maybe now one screen has died. But at that point, it, you get into a crazy conversation because they're like, uh, I'm like, sorry, I can't change that screen. They haven't made it for 10 years. And if I change it for the new one, guess what? I have to redo the entire house because one screen is not working. You know, it just it's a, it's a testament to show how long that kit can go in and run for if you do it right. But that, and that's another conversation and maybe another podcast, right? What do you do in those scenarios? Because they probably spent 15, 20 million on this house. And now all of a sudden you've gone there to repair one screen and told them, right, well, actually, you've got to replace the entire AV system. And it, it's that domino effect, isn't it? You you go, oh, I changed the AV systems. I've changed the touchscreen and all the Crestron. Ah, 
that the new system is not compatible with the old lighting system. The entire lighting system needs to go out. Ah, now the old shades are not compatible with the new lighting system. The shades need to change, right? And you, you are literally, you know, yeah. There, there's that's another probably another podcast, right? <laughs> but, yeah. I think Diggy Diggy's brought up a very valid point there because you know we've got old Lutron systems uh, that we've come across in people's houses. And now what they're saying is, well, why can't we just use Philips Hue? You know, why Why do we need this? Why can't we just... We went to one client and this house was yeah, probably about 28 million in Chelsea. And it was his PA that took us around. And I knew that in explaining to her what needs to be done, it's not going to go down with the boss very well. Right, because she's probably just said, oh, this guy's just come in and said it's going to be hundreds of thousands of pounds and, and that's it. No, you've had a system and had the use out of it for 15 years and it's worked perfectly fine. Now some of the things are failing. You can either go on eBay and buy spares or you upgrade it. Now, we put it as the car analogies. If you've had a car for 15 years and you've serviced and maintained it and everything else, it'll probably still work quite well, but the technology is old and you might be you know, hoping for something a little bit newer, a little bit shinier and better. People don't seem to understand that when it comes to home tech. They feel that it should last forever and why do they have to spend so much money on it? And surely, you know, Amazon and Alexa and Philips Hue now do the same job as these systems that have worked. They don't see, this is not a skin over the top. This is ingrained and inbuilt into the fabric of the homes of today. Excellent end to the podcast. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks, Durgesh. It's been Thank great you. Thanks, chatting guys. with you. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, thanks, Paul. Thanks so much. Thanks, right, Jeff. Take care. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Paul and Durgesh, for talking with us today. A fascinating discussion. You can find out more about the Integrated Home on Instagram at IntHomePod and on LinkedIn at the Integrated Home Podcast. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of Distributed by Meridian. We support Together for Cinema. We are a Wildwood Plus production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. So far, thanks to the huge generosity of manufacturers, distributors and integrators freely giving of their time, products and expertise, we've created 21 dedicated cinemas. In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.